Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fish Stripes Unfiltered, episode 31. Today, we have a very, very special guest. But before that, I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Isaac Azut. Isaac, uh, what's up, man? I- I'm very excited for this episode. Long time coming, I would say. Yeah, I'm doing swell. I know you got to speak with him, you know, earlier in the season, a couple, maybe six months ago. But, you know, a lot of things has ha- changed since then. So I'm excited to get into it. Today, we are joined not only by Eli Sussman, who will be along with us, but we are here with the Miami Marlins Senior Director of International Scouting and Operations, Adrian Lorenzo. If you guys um, looked at the YouTube video earlier in the year on Fish Stripes, we, we spoke to Adrian about minor league prospects, a little bit about the, the season going so far, but we are here to talk international prospects, minor leagues, and take a deeper dive into maybe the world that maybe not the casual fan is aware of. So, Adrian, we're very excited to have you, and welcome to Fish Stripes Unfiltered. Awesome. And thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. I feel like I listen to you guys and watch this all the time uh, from a different perspective, obviously, than the one you guys have. But uh, it's interesting to be sitting in this seat right now and kind of be a part of it. So I feel like I know you guys and I know the format of the show. So um, kudos. A great intro section, by the way. That was uh, that got me fired up. Yeah, I have something quick for you off the bat, Adrian. Could you just explain to our audience exactly what you do with the Marlins? You've been with the organization a while. But just within the past year, this new title that you have, uh, we're just curious about what are the types of projects you're most involved with and you know, what's the day-to-day look like for somebody running international operations? So I got to be clear that the role that I came to the Marlins in was a different one than the one I occupy now. Yeah. Uh, when I first got to the Marlins, it was a bit of a, I don't know, wore multiple hats, but primarily uh, helping run the pro scouting department at the time. Uh, which I had I had not done before. I had spent the majority of my time in the international amateur space with the Red Sox for the prior four years before I arrived to the Marlins in 2018. Um, that's not to say that I didn't work in international scouting while I like when I first got here. It just wasn't. It was kind of split between several different responsibility sets, and it wasn't until I'd say September of 21 um, that you know this role came together to more formally focus my time and efforts into the Latin American player acquisition space. So, you know, when you ask me what my role is, you know, Kevin mentioned the title, but I guess any scouting, any amateur scouting operation that operates outside of the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada falls within my purview um, and our, our department's purview. So the majority of my efforts are focused in finding Latin American talent. It's not limited to Latin America. The Bahamas are not Latin America. You know, there are other spaces that it's it's not limited to that, but the bulk of it, if I were to split it up into a pie, 
we spend the majority of our efforts in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Colombia, Curacao, Panama, um, the Bahamas, Aruba, Nicaragua, Mexico, uh, all the all the places where baseball is played in Latin America. We attempt to have a presence. Now, there's some strategy behind where and when we focus our efforts. So the majority, the vast majority of what happens or what I deal with happens in the Dominican Republic. Um, so, you know, we follow suit and we scout. You know, if, you, if you see the distribution of our scouts, you'll see that it, it follows that trend line of where Latin American impact prospects are coming from and players. Uh, Agent, you know, 2022 seasons come to an end. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on the minor league season, the minor league system? How would you assess not only the state side, but the international side of the minor leagues this season? I'd say we're in a really strong position. I'd say in, you know, in the current moment, the, the pitching as a whole might be ahead of, of, of the position player side of this, but I think that's, that's a good thing, right? And that's not a knock against our position player pool at all. There are several standout individual performers from that group, but just kind of putting the position, like putting them into these large buckets, like the, the pitching side of things is really, really stood out in my opinion, which is not an easy thing to accomplish. You know, obviously to have a, you know, top of the line elite system, you want both things to be firing on all cylinders. And I think that the offensive component is trending in that direction, but I think it's, it shouldn't get looked over that like how strong the pitching has been either. You know what I'm saying? And then there's there's guys that are like kind of forgotten in this group. You know, the Jake Eaters, the Sixto Sanchez's that, you know, we flipped the clock back a year, a year and a half, two years ago. You know, and, and obviously like things have happened since then. But, you know, there's, you know, in Jake Eaters case, for example, like I feel like he's he's the forgotten man in all this. When if you just flip it back to 2021 and you look at that line in double A as a left handed starter, not to mention the way teams, other teams in the league behave when it comes to Jake Eater. Like that's one that I feel is just gonna. It's kind of like a, the, like I said, the forgotten man in this year's group. Two two breaking ball swung on and missed, and another strikeout for Eater. He's got three. Uh, from a pitching standpoint, I feel particularly strong, but also feel really bullish about quite a few uh, individual offensive performances from the position player group. You know, Yidi Cape, Nassim Nunez, Victor Mesa, Jose Salas, Ian Lewis. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm sliding somebody in that group and I don't mean to, you know, Paul McIntosh. Um, but I, I do feel while the pitching is gets the attention that it does, that the position player group is, is in a strong position as well and getting stronger as we speak. Uh, I feel like we're in a stronger position than a lot of people give us credit for and trending in a direction that's positive. Yeah, you actually led me to my next question, Adrian, because, you know, all the you know, casual fans, they sort of know about those top 20 guys, yeah. all those, you know, top 30 lists. What are some names to you that stood out that the casual fan may not have heard of, either the back end of those lists maybe or not even ranked? Who are some of those names that Marlins fans might be surprised to hear from next year or in the next coming years? Well, I got to be careful with how I answer that and factor in how much time you got in order for me to answer that because <laughs> I work in a department that is, is by definition talking about 16, 17, 18-year-olds. So the projection timeline window is, is longer. Um, but I mean, there are a few guys like just to give an example of a recent trade that we that we completed. Right. Santiago Suarez, I'd say, was one of the primary pieces in the deal that acquires Xavier Edwards and JT Charlois. Um, And that's one of those items to me that like you guys may not necessarily know. I know you this group does know who Santiago Suarez is, um, but, you know, it's one of those like. Uh, really interesting occasions where you sign a guy in January and then by November, you know, 
he's dealt in a deal for a major league trade, like for a major league player. And we can get into Xavier Edwards, who I'm ecstatic about and really excited about as an acquisition. I think that's a sneaky under the radar. Uh, one that's not going to get too much notoriety, but pays dividends later. But we can get into that at the right time. But Santiago Suarez, who's now a Ray, you know, I think it shouldn't be lost that, you know, in January, he's an international signee. And now in November, he's actually part of a deal for a major league uh, piece. And that's not to like pump us up in any way. It's just to like hear guys that you might not have heard about that already have accomplished the, the role or the level of major league value. Right. So like these guys don't have to debut in the major leagues in order to possess value to their team. It hurts to watch somebody like Santiago Suarez go out the door. You know, I'm sure in a couple of years we're going to be talking about how good he is. Yeah. Um, it's fine. That's the pay. Like that's that's the reason I do what I do. It's not just for, you know, we just signed 65 players in this period, and you know, there's a lot more coming in the next couple. You know, some guys are going to play for us. Some guys are not. Ideally, some guys help us get the guys that impact the major league level in a way that's that's uh, beneficial. And that was part of the calculus when talking about Santiago Suarez, but that's one example, you know, we're talking about, like I said, I I'm, I'm really close to it. So I have a lot, but you know, the guys that stand out, I don't know if you guys saw what Marco Vargas did this year, um, but he was one of the, basically one of the standout performers in the DSL. Um, and I think uh, it's just a really advanced offensive profile from a left-handed hitting middle infielder um, who you know, when you sign a guy for $17,000 or whatever it is that he signed for, you know, at the time, and he was late in the timeline too. He was after the January 15th date. But when you do that, you're basically saying, all right, I got to fill my roster with 60 guys. This is the first time the Marlins have ever had a two team DSL structure. Yeah. Um, so in order to do that, you have to beef up your signings on one end of this. And Marco was part of that effort, you know, but he, by, by no means, I don't look at any player as a roster filler by any, like every player has an in, like his own individual chance to like elevate his stock. And, and that's why I'm highlighting this one because this guy wasn't the big bonus guy that gets the chance to play every day because of that bonus. And that we don't necessarily do that too much. I think we're really good about that. Um, but to me, this is a really good example of a guy like taking advantage of playing time and establishing himself at a level above a lot of guys that got higher bonuses than him, not only in our organization, but in other organizations too. Uh, and if you really dissect the performance, I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to open my system here so that I can be reading from accurate data. So what I'm giving you guys is, is real time, but like just a really advanced offensive performance across the board. I mean, we, when you look at swing decisions, which to us is like, it's like the combination of play discipline and swinging at pitches that you should swing at. So it's not just how often do you walk and get on base, but it's how often do you swing at the pitches in your hot zone that you should be swinging at and doing damage of when you overlay those two, like that's what I would call swing decisions. And he would be at the top of the, at the top of the DSL performer scale on that front, you know, and then you factor in the age, middle infield position. And then there's actually, there's sneaky pop and impact there uh, for a guy playing that position, swinging the bat from the left side. So really interesting name that I think we'll be talking about in a, in short order. He's probably destined to start in the FCL, but you know, I don't, don't, don't quote me on that. That could go in either direction, but he's put himself in a good position too. Jose Gerardo is another guy, really, really interesting tool set. Um, 
really interesting power potential. He led the DSL in home runs this year, which is if you guys have watched or looked at DSL stats, like 12 homers is a lot of homers in terms of like a small season and in, in normal parks for a younger league. Um, as, and he did most of that as a 16 year old. Um, nice. and, you know, he's, yeah, he's another guy who wasn't like the obvious guy in the class. He yeah. had big tools, but he wasn't the obvious guy to go out and, and tear it up. But you know, what's funny is that with him, like, yeah, you guys see the DSO numbers and that's what you see, but we played a pretty extensive spring training schedule on the front end of that and factored like stretched out to like 400 something plate appearances. He, he hit like 25 homers, oh. like these are unofficial games, so I'm not saying he hit 25 homers in the season, but I'm saying we played enough games for him to hit 25 homers, um, and it was, and it was it was really impressive for a kid that age. Uh, there's some swing and miss stuff that he's got to tighten up, and he knows that. He and I have, have been very uh, communicative about that. Um, but here's a guy with top of the scale tools. Um, you know, here's a guy that when we when he first got here with us, I had some in our pitching group that were really kind of chomping at the bit a little bit of, to see if he could get off the mound because the arm strength was that good. And he's a guy who's putting up 102s and 103s thrown from the outfield that are like, you know, you just don't see those things. Um, but he is by no means a, a pitching prospect at this point. He's established himself as, a, as an offensive player to the extent that I don't think we're talking about that. But uh, he's got that tool in his back pocket as well. And he's a sneaky, sneaky instinctual player. You know, the, like the power and the arm strength are going to get a lot of the – a lot of the notoriety, but if you see him play defense, you see him on the bases. He's another guy that I think we'll be talking about quite a bit. Um, Anthony Pagaro can't get lost in all this. I think he's, you know, pound for pound might be one of our better players in totality. He doesn't suffer from the swing and miss issues. Maybe like a little different power right now in that first season versus somebody like Gerardo, but also a very complete overall prospect profile. Um, that's one of those where, you know, he was signed, you know, before my official time in this role, but saw him extensively uh, and do have to give credit to Fernando Segano and his group on, on somebody like Anthony Pagaro, as well as quite a few other guys. Um, but he's a guy that, that shouldn't get lost in, in this discussion at all. Um, yeah, I don't want to just go on talking. So if that's, if that's too many guys, like I said, this list can go on for a little while here. Um, and I did a little bit of homework and research before I jumped on the call. So, I mean, we can go pretty, we can go pretty deep into this. Not sure how detailed you guys are trying to get. Well, no, I guess my next question would be when, when you look at all these, you know, 16, 17 year olds killing it in the Dominican Republic, what tells you as an organization, these guys are ready to go stateside to play ball? It depends, right? Like, I think every player is different. I think every scenario is individual and you assess it and, and evaluate it as such. Um, but I think it depends on what kind of performance, right? Like, you know, if a guy's swinging and missing at a high clip at a 35% clip in the DSL, you can probably project that to increase at, at the next levels at kind of like, you know, five to 10 add plus, you know, plus or minus 10 points to that. And, and that's not a sustainable place to be. So just to give an example, you don't want to put a guy in a position to fail, right? So there, there are certain markers like the strike throwing gap, for example, from the DSL to the, FCL is that's a big jump. It's an even bigger jump from the FCL to an automated strike zone in a ball in Jupiter. So like if you're a pitcher, for example, and you're carrying higher walk rates, that's not going to automatically get better as you continue to progress in the system. It goes the other direction. In fact, so if you're carrying like 
high walk rates, you know, high walk rates can be a little deceptive, but like carrying high walk rates and a low first pitch strike percentage, those kinds of things are going to put you in a position and not be able to succeed the way you'd want to in at the next level, you know, where, where things only get tighter zones only get tighter. So strike throwing pitchers are always in a position to continue to move forward and kind of chew up innings and, and put themselves in a position to, to compete when you're not throwing strikes, you're not competing. So it just like, that's an immediate blocker for some guys that I think gets, no matter how good your stuff is, you still got to put up strike one, strike two. Like I think any pitching coach will, will kind of connect, make connect those dots very quickly. And so that's one, that's one that stands out. And then, you know, like it depends, it depends on the position that he's playing. If he's playing a middle infield position, can he carry the defensive workload that's going to come with that position or a catcher, for example, like, you don't want to put a guy out there in a position where he's going to be getting exposed every day. And then now the defensive lack of confidence bleeds into the offensive side. And now the carrying tool that was the offense is getting dragged down because of the defense. So it's hard to answer that question kind of like a blanket statement way. Every situation is individualized, but I guess larger umbrellas, like if you're not throwing strikes, you're going to have a hard time, no matter how good your stuff is. I think any pitcher will tell you that. I don't think anybody's going to disagree. Um, And if you're just, if you're making, consistently poor swing decisions it's really hard to have consistent success some guys some guys outperform it and that's because they have maybe some freakish ability that overcompensates for that for that um but swing decisions pretty pretty important and just general bat to ball you don't put the ball in play you're not going to compete like there's there's some of that you know and there's some other guys that you accept the trade-off and swing and miss for the power output and the slug that they're going to bring so and hard to answer that question in general terms, but that's as close as I could get. I very quickly wanted to mention that uh, the Marlins selected Marco Vargas as the DSL MVP, mm-hmm. as well as Jose Gerardo. Gerardo, Peguero are both in the MLB Pipeline's top 30, which is where we all know mainly the casual fan will look when it comes to prospects. Um, yep. Ronald Hernandez is also in there. Quick shout mm-hmm. out to him. Uh, I wanted to ask you, the Marlins did also complete another trade. I know you mentioned um, Xavier Edwards' trade. They traded Eliezer Hernandez, Jeff Brigham, over to the Mets for Franklin Sanchez, who is a hard-throwing pitcher. Uh, If you want to talk to us a little bit about what Franklin Sanchez brings to to the table. Sure. I mean, uh, like I said, let me pull up the page so that I'm speaking from, so I'm speaking from, you know, data. So just kind of pulling this page up, it's a, it's a huge arm that in, let's see, seven innings in the AFL was sitting 97, bumping 100, with average fastball movement and has had like a real track record of putting the ball on the ground. So it's, you're basically looking at a 22 year old power arm Dominican with a hundred mile an hour fastball with average, you know, basically average like data characteristics, but has shown flashes of plus performing slider as well. So in 2022, it was a slider heavy in terms of, you know, the way the two pitches performed, the slider performed above the fastball. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a power fastball profile that uh, this is this is that type that you take a chance on because if you can tighten it up in the zone and if he can throw strikes at a higher clip, you know that that velocity and that movement, like we have a pretty good idea of how things play over the plate. The hitting side is notoriously trickier to evaluate, you know. But and that's not to say that evaluating pitching is easy by any means. I don't want that to to be the case or to be construed as the case but you know in terms of what's coming across the plate when it's 97 to 100 with at least average movement 
put in the zone like that, that's got a pretty good track record. And, and that's part of the, you know, that's part of the logic here. And, and the physicality stands out here too. Um, so I think just a good, a power armed Dominican right-hander with ceiling to miss bats if he stays in the zone, which once you put yourself in that category, it's, there's a lot of guys getting a lot of money in free agency right now that fit that profile. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like a young Sandiel Contra uh, profile early on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously this year you were very excited about the new Dominican uh, Academy opening up this year. I guess basically what's the main differences between the new one and the previous one? How long? I mean, as quickly as you can, I guess. No, it, it, the, the difference can't be understated or it can't be right. overstated. Like it's like a it's a night and day conversion from the building we were operating in before to the one we have now. Like, and, and that's like, that's not necessarily a knock against the previous one. You know, in, in the Dominican Republic, things age sometimes and like buildings especially can age in like dog years, you know? So like a building that wasn't built that long ago because of the weather and proximity to the ocean, salt water, things like that, things just kind of like deteriorate at a higher clip. Um, so this building that we've been in is kind of toward the back end of, you know, I don't know, it's been around for a couple decades now. So it's like, you just run into physical limitations, uh, that now with a brand new building, um, and the way that the building was thought out, like if, I think if you guys get the pleasure of going down there to, to visit it, you'll see that every detail was thought through, you know, every, every corner of that place was designed specifically with the intent of getting players better. Like there's, there's a, there's a curation to the layout even, you know, where it's separated out residential and performance. So that, and it's so like residential and education and baseball and performance in the other side. So that there's a division of, you know, these kids can get caught up in a really monotonous life sometimes down there. I think people forget that, that these guys just go show up to an Academy. They sleep there. They're in and out every day. They don't, they leave a little bit on the weekends, but for the most part, it's just there. So there was a real intention to elevate the the comfort level and the and just the, the facilities to reflect that like you know that time allotment that they got to spend there and like look at the end of the day we're in the player development business like right. this is we having a top flight Dominican and Latin American facility I think I don't have to explain to you guys the importance of in order for you to have a healthy system for your system to have a healthy Latin American pipeline of players. And in order like to do that, two things have to come together, which is scouting and player development. And our, for example, the academy, just for the scouting component, plays a huge dividend in terms of like now. So we host weekly tryouts at our academy that are now operating on a better field with a better trackman unit, with a better conference room to do post tryout analyses in with better like stations and ways to set up the cameras like the ways in which this improves our operation on both the scouting and player development side, like I can sit here and talk to you guys about for a while, but it, it makes a huge difference. And then it's just also the right thing to do at the end of the day. Like at the end of the day, it's just the right thing to try to have the highest quality as, an, as a baseball organization, to try to have the highest quality facilities for your players to develop in, period. So I think that, that, that this academy was built with that like right at the forefront here. Um, and it's a, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a statement as to where we feel Latin American baseball, like the role it plays within our organization. And it's our desire to have it play a very prominent one and ideally be at the top of Latin American scouting and player development. That's the goal. And in order to do that, like the facility that you operate in plays a huge role.
So I think, you know, the group that was here previously and the group now has a deep appreciation of that. And so that's why I feel you see the investment in the academy to the degree that, that you see it in. Um, so, I don't know. I think we put our money where our mouths are in terms of believing in Latin America here. Yeah, 100% from the pictures. It, it looks beautiful. It looks amazing. And definitely even more impressive in person. Yeah. yeah. Even more impressive in person. You guys got to take a trip. Definitely, definitely. At some point, I would. we, we have to go down there. Um, Adrian, I wanted to ask you, you kind of mentioned a couple of these in, the, uh, the international signings you had in 2022. Mm -hmm. um, what were your thoughts on the class as a whole? You know, there were some names that definitely um, showed up and uh, made, made a name for themselves, at least in our eyes. Um, you know, what were your thoughts on the class in general? It's a good question. Um, I thought it was a very strong class, generally speaking, um, with some individual standout performers that put themselves, that kind of thrusted themselves into prospect status in a very short amount of time. Um, that said, my goals are to, for example, I wanted to win. I wanted both clubs to be playing meaningful games in the DSL postseason you know, to kind of indicate the caliber of, of total players that I think that, that we have. Yeah. And for various reasons, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't do that. Now, player development is not all about wins and losses in the, in, you know, in the season, but you're still competitive and you still want to be better. Like if you have good players, you should win games, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, there's not a direct correlation between wins and development here necessarily, but um, I don't know. I, I like to judge our product and our like the processes that we do against like real time uh, stats and standings and things like that. So I guess if I'm nitpicking, I would have wanted to finish in a better position. And uh, I think some of those in player development, if they were listening to this, they would caution more patience on that front. Uh, but at the same time, like I think if you're winning those games, it means you're lot you're doing a lot of things right that you know translate to development at the later levels. You're throwing strikes. You're not kicking the ball around. You're putting the ball in play, things like that. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I'd be a little harsher on the assessment. Uh, but if if the goal of an international scouting department is to provide impact players and trade assets to an organization, I feel pretty strong about about what that year looked like for us and what it will look like this year coming up. Right. So, like, where where Marco Vargas and Gerardo's and uh, Julio Mendez and Peguero, where their value goes from here, you know, which I think is a positive trend line. Uh, so feeling, feeling really good about the class, but also feeling like, and maybe this is every scouting director, but feeling like the next one is like even stronger because I feel like it's representative of our processes, just a full year developed, a full year underway, the machine working at a higher clip with more efficiency. Um, so feel really strongly about this upcoming class here. Um, in a way that's that's maybe a little more position player heavy than I'd say the 21 class was was pitcher heavy. Um, you know, now we're not in a position where we need to fill a whole other club and whole other rosters. Some of those players that were signed from last year's group will be DSL repeaters. So they'll play the DSL for a second time. Mm -hmm. um, or as many times as it takes. You know, they're they're Martin Prado was a three-time DSL and VSL, you know, player. So like these, these timelines aren't, aren't always linear. So some of those guys will populate those rosters. So the class will probably be maybe a little larger than half the previous class. Um, and there's some minor league like player reduction overall numbers that are keeping classes a little more modest. Um, 
but feel really strongly about the class coming up here as well. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to ask, at least on my end, was the international draft. I know this has been something that's been advocated for. What are your thoughts on the international draft? Why should it happen, and how will it benefit, you know, Major League Baseball? This is a tricky one to answer because I feel the answer to the larger philosophical question outside of the Miami Marlins perspective is that a draft is an essential uh, next step in terms of just solidifying and unifying the process in a way that's sustainable moving forward. Because, you know, right now it's a status quo agreement, which is fine, but I think that there are some well-established um complications and inconsistencies in the current system that I think, you know, people have legitimate gripes with. Um, so that's one end, like philosophically, like right, like for the game, I think that's a natural next step. And I think it will happen uh, despite the fact that it didn't happen in this CBA. But I also see the flip side of it, which is a more Marlins biased opinion in that like we, I, I enjoy the way that we, we operate in the current system as it is. Mm. And that every team is given their uh, kind of the discretion to operate at the at you know with whichever philosophical approach that they want to player acquisition. So, for example, I think you know in international scouting you hear a lot of a lot about early commitments and players like you know coming off the board early at ages that kind of make you cringe a little bit. But at the same time, like you as an individual team do not have to take that approach. Like we've signed a bevy of 18, 19, 20 year olds for bonuses that are not you know, significant and have tried to take an approach to, to evaluate players a little closer to their signing date, you know, closer to maturity, which saying that a 16 or 17 year old is mature is problematic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we try to, to kind of close that gap as much as possible. Uh, I guess personally, just speaking for myself, I I don't think I'm, I don't think me putting a, like a grade or a special, like a specific evaluation on a 13 year old, is going to yield like I'm not going to have the same kind of conviction in that in that assessment, you know, projecting him as a 19, 20 year old as I would a 16, 17 year old. So I like to stay closer to that signing age as a group. I don't know. I think we take a little bit of a, of a different approach in that space. And I think that sometimes we've been we've been rewarded for it. And other times like you, you find yourself on the outside looking in in terms of like just follow the logic of it. Right. Like if you have a pool of players. The guy where your eyes go first are the shortstops and the catchers and the center fielders. You kind of look up the middle of the field. So those are the guys who kind of come off the board first. So if you decide to, de- to scout and develop at a later age, you're kind of – it's looking more like a corner infield, outfield, like heavier group, which is fine. It's fine. We just have to – we have to go in like eyes open. And that's not to say that the right kinds of shortstops or the right kinds of catchers and center fielders aren't going to also be available, you know? So – I think you'll see that we we just evaluate players a little like later in the timeline as a just like a philosophical scouting philosophy kind of approach. Um, but there's pros and cons to that as well. You know, for my final question, just to sort of transition to the upper levels of the minors, unfortunately in recent years, you know, some of these higher rated guys, you know, Bladet, Burdick, Lewin, and Gerard, they've just struggled to adjust right away to major league pitching. And granted, MLB stars sometimes do it. It's not easy. But what are you guys doing to sort of maybe help the transition to the big leagues with, you know, your higher rated guys just not being able to hit right away? I think hitting in the big leagues is the most difficult thing in like sports. in professional sports, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that there are golfers that would disagree and other people from other sports that would, you know, and, and that those would be valid disagreements. Um, but I just think that there's a, 
first of all, there's a particularly larger gap, in my opinion, from AAA baseball to Major League Baseball. Like it's the largest one that I've seen in my 10 year career uh, working in baseball. Like just in terms of the, the gap from like, it just means that Major League Baseball is really good right now. That, yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at, you know, and that like AAA success isn't like a direct indicator of, of Major League success. Um, and so like hitting's hard, right? Like it's just, it's what I was talking about, like with, with evaluating pitching earlier, like what's coming across the plate, you have a pretty good feel for, we have all sorts of, of ways to evaluate and assess that hitting is so much more nuanced and complex. There's plate discipline, there's timing, there's bat speed, there's power, there's, you know, mechanics, like mechanical adjustments, like all these things are coming together at the same time. And there's the, like, the big leagues isn't a great place to develop as a young hitter. Like you're just in kind of survival mode every night. So if you're, if you're a young hitter, that's being overwhelmed by fastballs at any particular time, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be like fed a steady diet of fastballs in that part of the zone where you do the worst with them. And so like, that's where I think like there's a huge gap in the preparation on the pitching side and on the other side of like, okay, this is exactly where like zones that you need to go with this guy. Like this is, I mean, if you guys would be in those advanced meetings, you'd see the detail to which these things go in terms of how to prepare. And, you know, if on the other side, you have a good catcher, like pitcher catcher combo with good preparation, you know, you're going to like, you're going to be able to exploit young hitters weaknesses at a higher clip in the major leagues, in my opinion. Now, pitchers still have to execute their pitches and hitters on their end can't miss, you know, two old fastballs and advantage counts in their heat, in their heat zone and foul it straight back. And, you know, now, you know, you got yourself into a good hitters count and you didn't do anything with it. Like there's, there's a, like at the end of the day, the hitters got to step up and, and, and perform. But I'd say that like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't quite characterize it as these guys didn't come up and perform. I think there's, there's things that you could kind of select and kind of look at from their first year performances that give you glimpses of, of things that could project positively in the future. Sure. But I think it's a lot of pressure to put on young guys to be the ones carrying your your offense. Granted, that's when you're losing games at a rate at which we lost games last year, like all sorts of pressures kind of get put on. And when certain guys aren't, you know, aren't the ones to perform and carry you, you kind of look to these younger guys to be the ones to kind of fill those gaps. And in that moment, it's not always they're not always in, in the like in the right timeline in their development to be the guy to be leaned on in impact spots. They're still good players. So they're going to flash, you know, like Jesus Sanchez has throughout his time in the big leagues. He's going to flash moments where like, you're like, okay, this is yeah. real. This is the guy that just took over this game in a major league game versus elite level pitching in this division, which another thing I can get into the, the, the strength of the division, which I think is obvious. I don't think I need to quite like cover that, but it's not like a, it's not a throwaway item. It's a real thing. We, we compete in the, in like the toughest division of baseball, in my opinion. Yeah. And we see elite pitching on a nightly basis. So it's like, that's not like a throwaway item when you're talking about evaluating our hitters. Now at the same time, like from a fans standpoint, or even just from a competitive standpoint, you want any guy one through nine in your lineup to go out and put a competitive at bat together. So like, and those guys know that. I think if you asked each and every single one of those guys, how they felt about their initial foray into, into major league baseball, they'd all kind of be a little bit pissed off and just kind of like with a chip on their shoulder, wanting to prove that they're better than the numbers that they put out to a man. I can probably guarantee that, but I'd also, I'd also highlight quite a few positive developments, whether they happened in AAA or whether they happened at the big leagues that I think 
I don't want it to get washed as like all our guys, like our guys get up there and, and do not perform at the big league level. You know, like I think Brian De La Cruz is a good example this year, especially in the second half of the year of a guy who can kind of go through a little bit of that rookie year struggle, take some time in AAA and bounce back, prove that he, he didn't belong in AAA and bounce right back and, and be at a positive trend line. So. And De La Cruz into one to right center, gives it a ride all the way out of the ballpark. Two-run homer. Wow. These timelines aren't always linear. And the, the list is long of guys that haven't had a good first year and come back and dominate the, dominate the league. Absolutely. So here's to hoping that, that all of those guys are in that bucket. Um, but I will say that each of those guys has like really positive indicators of either A, a track record of really strong minor league performance um, or strong amateur performance or really strong swing decisions or ability to get on base. Like, I guess I'm just trying to highlight like the difficulties that young players face in their first year in the big leagues. And that's not to let them off the hook, but also like these things don't always work in, in like, an, you know, I remember sitting in those meetings in 2018 and 2019, you know, where Sandy wasn't the first guy you talk about when you talk about your rotation and rolling it out yeah. these things. And before you know it, he's winning the Cy Young, you know? So yeah. I've also seen it go the other way where you have, you know, higher expectations than you expect. And it kind of goes in the other direction. So I don't know. I, I see a positive, I see positive improvements as we move into 2023. And I think that there have been concerted efforts and proactive efforts made to like improve that space. Um, generally speaking. So uh, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yes. Cool. Yeah, Adrian, we talk to other people like you who ascend in a major league organization, the way you have most of them, they reach that spot because they are all baseball all the time all year round, every moment that they're alive to, to reach that. And although I'm sure you put in a tremendous amount of work, you're, you seem to be a more well-rounded individual. Just to use the own words on your website, designs by AdrianLorenzo.com. You are an entrepreneurial abstract artist and designer. And I found for the people watching this, just to see an example of the kind of work that you do, um, <laughs> there are many that. examples that you post on your site and on Instagram of the designs that you make. And for the people watching this, you're sitting in a room um, with a wallpaper that I believe you designed yourself as well. Yeah, um, it's not wallpaper. You, it's an actual mural. It's an actual mural. It's yeah. actual mural. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you balance having this very, um, what would be time intensive hobby on the side, in addition to focusing on baseball the way you have, because it doesn't seem like this is common in baseball for people to balance both the sport itself and their other passions. I feel a very natural urge. It's like involuntary to want to create something. Uh, on certain days, that's in the form of a painting on a canvas. Uh, other days, that's in the form of, you know, I want to build something with wood. And other days, it's uh, I want to like sketch something out in a journal or I want to uh, you know, design a sneaker that I feel inspired to wear uh, or want somebody else to wear. Um, and I think, I think that next frontier, I'd really like to design, uh, not, not design clothing necessarily, but have my designs mesh with you know, fashion and clothing. It's already, uh, I guess sneakers is you know, already a one foot in that space, but I think I'd like to develop that a little further too. Where, where do you even start with that question? So <laughs> I guess, like, I think it's a shame that, that baseball 
has a net or like baseball executives have this reputation of having to be working all the time. And, and I've gone through those periods, you know, I've gone through those times, I guess this, I don't arrive at this, uh, without like going through a lot of life experience that kind of forces you to, uh, I don't know, explore things outside of baseball to make sure that your entire identity isn't wrapped up into this, because if you allow it, it does take that on, you know, it does like, it can, it'll take all that you can give it. And then some, especially like in an organization like the Marlins where, you know, we're, we're just a smaller overall operation. So everything is a lot more hands on deck and it, it can just like, it can swallow up time and effort. And I mean that in the best way, you know, like, especially at first, uh, when I first got here with the Marlins, it was, it was very much that it was a 24 seven gig. That was, it was all hands on deck. And I, and I love that. It allowed me to like be in rooms that I might, you know, in another organization might've taken me three to four years four or five years to, to like be in those rooms and be in those discussions. But the Marlins were kind of a good opportunity to, um, you know, go and learn and develop. And so I went through those years of kind of doing it that way. And that's, that has its benefits as well. Um, but I think as I, as I focused on the Latin American space more um, and decided to, I don't know, I specialize is the wrong word, but the international space is where I feel I have the strongest footing. Um, that's just where the, the majority of my experience is. And as a result of focusing on that more specifically, it kind of allowed uh, the art, which is a post-COVID kind of uh, development. I've always sketched and doodled, but it was only like during COVID and after COVID that it it really kind of took on a life of its own and, and expanded from there. Uh, so I don't know. It was more like this was going to the art thing was going to happen anyway. Um, it just kind of it eats into it doesn't eat into baseball because the time I spent in baseball specifically like talking about international scouting and players. And I think if you ask anybody in my staff and the frequency with which we have phone calls and text exchange and group calls, like, uh, you know, the, the amount of time spent on the baseball stuff has not decreased in any way. It's just kind of prioritizing things outside of baseball in such a way that allows for something like this to, to have a chance to continue to flourish, which is, which is the intention. And, uh, the signs so far have been positive, so that's good. Um, but it is tricky, right? Like a lot of times you're, you're just having to decide like, you know, well, can I do this art show next week or am I going to be in the Dominican Republic, you know? And like, you, you obviously I'm going to be in the Dominican Republic if it comes to that. And so like trying to, like those are the trickier decisions than, you know, the pretty average me staying up till two, three in the morning making art like that. So sleep, I guess, is the trade-off. Um, but <laughs> but it's one that I'm willing to make in the, in the current moment. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you pointing it out though. I think this is the right spot to end it. Adrian, thank you so much. Uh, any last words, you know, to the fans that may be watching this or any last things you may want to mention? Hmm. Uh, I guess the first thing that stands out is like, thank you to you guys, right? Like this is, this is really cool to have people this engaged and this involved and this interested in the, in the goings on and in the happenings of a major league organization. I can comfortably say that I grew up in a different era, you know, in terms of like these, this kind of content and this kind of stuff wasn't, it was available, but in different ways and much more rudimentary ways. And so now to have it available in this way and like a five person podcast that has video that's going to like be on YouTube, that kind of thing. It's, it's cool to see. And I'm glad that there are people to create that content. And so I just want you to know that at least from somebody in my position, it's not lost on us. And we watch like watch and read like a, a large quantity of what you guys put out there, whether you know it or not. And I'm sure you've been given that indication, but it, uh, 
don't always agree. I will be, uh, but I guess that's the nature of where we stand on the dynamic, right? Like, and, and, but I do want you to know, like, as, as frustrated as I get sometimes, you do make me reassess and think positions differently. I'm not getting influenced by anything I read on Twitter necessarily, but they do, you know, it's like the little like guy on your shoulder talking to you, you know, when one of you guys put something that like, oh yeah, you know, but then I go into like, well, you guys don't understand X, Y, or Z that led up to, you know, this happening or the reasons a, B, or C reasons why this couldn't be. And, uh, but anyway, it, it takes a lot of discipline to not engage back on Twitter, <laughs> be a, a silent, uh, a silent observer. But what I can say with genuine honesty is like, from your guys' point of view, there's a lot of really good people, um, that I work with and that are like in, in positions in baseball operations, scouting, player development, PR, you name it, that have like such good intentions and work their butts off to like make this place better. And so I guess what I would say is when, when making or when thinking sweeping things about how things are going, like there's a lot of really good people that are like working their tails off to make sure that those things all improve. I like to think I'm in that group. I know a lot of people in our organization are in that group as well. And, you know, at least for me personally, like there's a, there's a real hometown pride component, you know, it's not a fanboy thing necessarily, at least on my end, but like, I grew up, I was born in highly a hospital, you know, like I grew up here watching this team from like the, the inception, you know, my parents were at the first game, like, and there are other people like that in our organization. So I guess what I would want to, to get conveyed is that like, there's a uh, high degree of care placed into the improvement of this organization. Um, I can, you know, speaking from my point of view and what I'm kind of in control of is, is improving the Latin American space to a degree that allows Kim and our group to make decisions that impact our, our major league roster. Um, so that's my like everyday North star. And, and that's what I spend my time on. But I think that there are a lot of like well-intentioned and, and hardworking people here that really want, you know, to see 97 and 2003 happen again in recent in contemporary time. So uh, not to get, you know, like preachy or anything like that, but I, I just, I guess that's the one thing I hope that as you guys do what you do, you kind of take that into account as you're, as you're putting out the content that I, that I put out, just like as I'm reading your guys' content, like whether or not, you know, it's bleeding into the, the logic or assessment, it does at like a sneaky amount, like at a sneaky clip. Uh, so like to, to think that you guys aren't making a difference or like factoring into the thoughts of, of at least one major league executive and myself, like it. So, so what I would say is like, guys, keep putting stuff out there and keep encouraging people to do more of it because, I think engagement overall, even if it's to tell us that we suck, you know, at any given moment, I think that's, it's helpful. You know, it's like, it's, and I'd rather the engagement than not. Right. Is what I'm saying. I'd rather the engagement than apathy, you know? So like, and in terms of like, there are a lot of really smart, good people in our organization that would be happy to do this format right here as well. And that I think you should hear from other views, other perspectives. So what I would say is don't be afraid to reach out because a lot of those guys can really like they're open books. Like there's a lot of really experienced scouts. So like Roman Okumara is just to give one example. I don't know if you guys are familiar with who Roman Okumara is, but Roman Okumara is, can be legitimately listed as the signing scout or signing supervisor for, for Amber Valdez and Oli Paredes, Christian Javier, Brian De La Cruz, um, and then that list is longer than the one I just mentioned. I think he's like 15, 16 big leaguers deep. And that guy's a wealth of Latin American scouting knowledge that I couldn't even begin to cover. 
you know? So like there are other people that I would encourage you guys to, to kind of poke and that would be, be happy to engage in this way. Just like I am. This is, this is fun. I could talk baseball with you guys all night. So um, yeah. And just stay engaged, man. Stay engaged. That's what I'd say. Love it. Isaac, Eli, any last words before we wrap this up? No. All righty. Uh, yes. Yeah. This was amazing. This was a great time. Adrian, once again, thank you. We hope to have you back on soon. Um, from Isaac, Eli, Adrian, myself. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Peace out and go fish. We got to end it off right. Yeah.